You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 133 for Monday the 24th of December 2018. My guest today is Gary Collins, who has a very interesting and unique background that includes military intelligence and being a special agent. His expert knowledge brings a much-needed perspective to areas such as simple living, health, nutrition, entrepreneurship, self-help and being more self-reliant. He holds an AS degree in exercise science, BS in criminal justice and MS in forensic science. In addition to being a best-selling author, he has taught at university college level, consulted and trained college-level athletes and been interviewed for his expertise on various subjects by CBS Sports, Coast to Coast AM, the RT Network and Fox News, to name but a few. When we chatted for the podcast, I began by asking Gary to tell me more about his special agent past prior to starting his life as an author of non-fiction books. It's intriguing to others. To me, I guess it was a little different. But uh, yeah, I uh, was in military intelligence after college and from military intelligence, worked in the civilian sector briefly and then went to work for the U.S. State Department Diplomatic Security Service, which is in charge of uh, basically we run the security overseas in all the consulates, embassies, and then we have a protection team that does all non-heads of state. And then visa, passport, fraud, uh, terrorism, it was kind of a wide, varied job. And I did that for a couple, two and a half, three years, traveled all over the world. It was pretty crazy. Um, We were on TV shows at the time. It was, yeah, it was kind of a nutty world. And then I went from that into more of white-collar fraud straightforward investigations and that was with u.s department of health and human services and then the fda which is still an agency sub agency of hhs basically so i i did a bunch of you know doctors hospitals uh you know food drug counterfeit drugs steroids you name it it was the whole gamut of the food and drug world basically and medical if you think of just the health care world or health world in general for the government, I investigated pretty much everything, and that's what opened my eyes to uh, basically how our, our food and drug industry works. And yeah, so that's uh, in a brief, brief uh, kind of explanation because most people go, well, what was your average day like, Gary? And I go, every day was different. There was no standard day like a normal job. It just depends what was going on. Okay, so I write thrillers, and when I think of special mm-hmm. agents, I think dark glasses, I think I think arms, you know, weapons, I think sort of suits and running mm-hmm. by president's cars. I mean, was there any of that kind of stuff in there? Yeah, when I was with the U.S. State Department, I was a guy who talked into my sleeve, wore dark glasses in a suit uh, with a bulletproof vest, and yeah, well, that's what we did. We, we called it running the boards. You'd be running alongside the protection car. And yeah, I did that all over the world, traveled all over the world doing that because we were in charge of Secretary of State. So anyone who I know the American government's kind of complicated how it works, but that would have been uh, Colin Powell, Madeleine Albright during that time. They were the secretaries of state. So we were responsible for their protection. What is it you've got up your sleeve when you're talking into your sleeve? What, What actually what kind of gear have you got? Oh, I can't talk to you about the gear. Come on, Paul. You know that stuff. That stuff's classified. Um, but no, it's it's basically what you're doing. Is it's you're doing radio communication. So you're talking with your team. If you uh, know anything like the Secret Service, we use basically the same equipment, do the same thing as the Secret Service. We just don't. They take heads, formal, I should say, formal recognized heads of state. So, for instance, the State Department, we would protect. Uh, Yasser Arafat, because technically the Secret Service didn't consider him a head of state. So yeah, we did. We ran, you know, details in parallel. We would be running details same time Secret Service would. We would just be protecting, like the the again the foreign prime minister 
as opposed to the prime minister, if that makes sense. Now, my imagination is is running riot here. Um, so, did you see kind of any any great action? You know, I'm I'm thinking movies here. This is this is glamorous stuff. A- any kind of you know action, shooting action, or anything like that? Any drama? Oh, there's in the government. There's always drama, but um, not, TV always makes it sound way more exciting than it really is. Um, it was it dangerous? Absolutely. Is there stories I could tell? Eh. Sure, maybe, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, you know, probably one would be being part of the team that went over after the USS Cole was bombed. This is just prior to 2000 or uh, uh, 9-11. And yeah, seeing all that go down and we were actually protecting the investigative team and we were a part of the investigative team for that whole investigation. It was eye opening, you know, cause I, we were in Yemen and, uh, it's a very dangerous place. I'll just leave it at that. You're, you were always looking behind you and around you because it was just chaos. So you, you said that you moved out of that into white collar desk jobs. I mean, that must've been boring as heck when you did that. It was mind numbing, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time though, it, the investigations were so different because those were so cerebral and it was a lot of documents it was shell companies, so it had a whole different flavor to it. And I would say a lot of it was was fraud against the government. And also, you would have these huge just white-collar networks with, like I said, shell companies all over the world. And they're ch- you're chasing the money. You're, tr- you're trying to find where all the money's going, who's involved, what networks. And it was pretty amazing because people wouldn't realize, but the Russian mafia – uh, a lot of the Nigerian crim- criminal syndicates were all involved, are to this day still involved in healthcare fraud. And the reason they do it, and their attitude is very simple. First of all, America is great at not keeping track of our money in the government; it just goes everywhere. And, and B, it had less risk. So if you could get involved and figure out how to create these these criminal units use these kind of hardcore criminal units and do white collar fraud. You, you think a Russian who spent time in a Russian prison is afraid of being caught doing white collar fraud in the United States? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was easy pickings for them is the way they looked at it. How, why do you move from something that's very much, you know, on the front line to something that's office-based? Is it is it a case that you have, um, you know, a short kind of career in that, that you have to be kind of young and fit? Or, you know, why, why do you make a move like that into white-collar work? Well, I, I went to college to be primarily an investigator. And, I, you know, not that this stuff wasn't exciting, but I had a bachelor's in, crim- in criminal justice investigations, and then I have a master's in forensic science. So my background was primarily, and I'd been in the military too. So by the time I ran that gamut, you know, I was hit in my thirties, you get kind of burned out and the life is really, really hard. We spent about 60% of the year on the road. I worked multiple stints of 30 plus days without a day off and you're, you're running. I mean, you're doing 10, 12, sometimes 16 hour days, no breaks. Try doing that for 30 days, solid and you're not in an area, you're in a, living out of a suitcase on top of it or overseas. You know, you, you get sick, run down. You know, a lot of guys got malaria overseas. Some guys died. I mean, it, it just was one of those where you go, okay, can I do this long term or is it time for me to move on <laughs> and maybe do something a little bit slower? And don't get me wrong, there's times when, when I, I regretted it. You know, because it was such a different type of investigator. But without it, I don't think I would have the knowledge and be where I am today because it gave me this really wide swatch of how criminal activity works, if that makes sense. Did you see those guys running along uh, Kim Jong-un's car, uh, you know, from North Korea? Did you see that film footage? What, what did you think of their pace? They looked like they were really fit. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in general, if you're going to be doing protection, you, you need to be fit. And if you're, you're probably in his detail, 
yeah, you're probably going to have to be really, really fit. Um, but the lifestyle, even though you're trying to be fit, don't get me wrong. I work, we all work. Well, most of us worked out and we did it just as your health suffers so bad because not only that, but you're overseas and you're in these foreign countries. Well, we don't have the immune system. You know, we're being exposed to, you know, viruses and, and bacteria and, and things that we don't have a defense for. So you, you could get really, really sick overseas. Um, you know, it's like, you know, what killed nine out of 10 of the native Americans in America? disease that the Europeans brought over. That's what killed most of them. So yeah, I kind of look at it that way. And don't get me wrong, that's what I mean. Some of people died. I mean, we had one guy killed over dead at 26. They couldn't figure out why he was overseas in Colombia, if I remember right. Just found him on the jogging path dead. No foul play, just dead. Makes me pleased for the career that I've had. Uh, it's a lot, a lot safer than what you do. Now, what, what I am interested in, though, is is how come then you moved through, um, as you said, it's very cerebral work. I have a relative who does this kind of work in the UK. It fascinates me as a, a crime and thriller writer, you know, the, the intricacy and the, the cleverness of the people who are, you know, creating all these frauds. But I, I'm interested in how you then became interested in writing from that environment. Well, as your friend, you write so many criminal investigative reports. I mean I've written thousands of reports, So, but it's a different writing. It's a very, very different writing, and that's the one thing people don't understand either. A lot of your time – very little of your time is actually spent doing the investigation. A lot of it is dealing with bureaucracy and writing reports is what I tell people. For writing, it was kind of a weird progression. I always thought I had a book in me like most people do, correct, as writer, you know. Most people will tell you, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. I had that, but I started – I got out and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue something real positive and something I want to do and I'm passionate about. Well, I was always passionate about sports, health, and exercise. been an athlete since I was seven. I've been playing organized sports, lifting weights, working out most of my life. So I said, you know what? I've got this inside knowledge. I understand how things work. Let me you know, work with clients. And that's what I did. I basically did consulting, did one-on-ones, tra- trained high-end athletes, primarily football players, uh, the American football, not soccer, um, big, powerful guys. So I was doing that, and I, I wrote three books accidentally in a way because I kept getting asked the same questions over and over and over again. I went, I need to just document this, put this in a work, in like a workbook give it to my client said, read this. Well, 45, it started like 35 pages. It went to 45 pages. Next thing I know, I've got a couple hundred pages of just kept doing, putting programs together. Uh, well, I had a marketing guy who was helping me out doing some stuff and I, he goes, just publish it. So I went out, did some research on self-publishing, didn't have a clue what I was doing, found a guy who ran a print shop (laughs) He designed my covers for me and did the layout, and I put out three books. There was an exercise program before that, but that's a whole different story. That was not that was not traditional writing. That was more of an, a program built for professionals. And so I, I put these three books out, and my Martin guy said, just put them on Amazon. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I figured out how to get an ISBN and all that good stuff. Threw them out there, and I sold them to all my clients. That was their prerequisite is – you have to buy these three books in order for me to work with you. It's just part of the deal. And you have to read them before we have our first, you know, real in-depth workout session. Well, they sold. And I was doing podcast interviews to help promote my business and do some stuff. And I was doing public speaking. They did okay. I mean, they weren't bestsellers or anything, but for as terribly as I did it, they sold four more, far more copies than they should have, basically. And I like writing. Uh, I enjoyed the process. I just was a hybrid, though, because I was more of an entrepreneur than I was a writer. So the writing was secondary. Being an entrepreneur was primary, and working with clients was primary. And that transition, though, at one point, I've always been a small-town outdoors guy. And I'll give you how this transitioned because it's a weird (laughs) story. But going off the grid, that book – I bought 20 acres in uh, the northwest of the United States uh, by the Canadian border, 
I did an interview and the guy goes, what are you up to now? And I went, oh, I just bought 20 acres. I'm going to build a house off the grid. He goes, huh? What? Never heard. What's this about? And I got flooded with emails after that podcast interview. And I went, oh my God, I better document this. I better keep track of what the heck I'm doing. And that's where that book came from. It was never intended to be written. Well, that book took off. It's been an Amazon bestseller for over a year now. And that pivot, kind of pivoted me into a new direction. I'm going to dig into your nonfiction much more in a moment or two. But before we move on to that, I must ask you that with this amazing background and experience as a special agent, I, I for instance, have interviewed a former FBI agent who went into writing thrillers, as you would expect, based around the FBI. I mean, it strikes me that you've got this massively rich source of information that you could be writing fiction for, and you're uniquely positioned for that. Why, Why didn't you go for fiction? That's a really good question, actually. And that's kind of, you know, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do fiction. But like I said, I by the time I left the government, I'd been in half my life in the federal government in one form or the other, federal and state government. I started working for the state government uh, when I was in college. So I, I, I was pretty burned out, if that makes sense. I was like, I just want to do something else, I, I just something totally different. I think that's what pushed me in the nonfiction direction and the self-help books. But I always had the thriller side shelved. It was on the list to do, but the nonfiction kind of took off, a, took on a life of its own. But interest, interestingly enough, I'm actually working on a thriller series with a fairly a decently known thriller writer, and I'm the consultant, and I'm helping him write the first book in this series. And we're, after that, we're going to decide if I'm going to do them all. But I've already signed a contract. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I have my toe in the thriller world right now. <laughs> yeah, that so. makes a lot of sense. I couldn't see how you could not, you know, being a writer, I couldn't see how you could not look at thrillers. Well, no, but it, it, as you know, it's such a different animal going from nonfiction to fiction, totally different writing style. And, and yeah, it just took me a while. I, and I'm going to continue to do this, but I'm going to be a weird author. And this is a total experiment. It goes against everything everyone tells you to do. But I'm going to split two very different genres. I'm going to do thrillers at some point, which I'm already helping and consulting on. And I'm also going to have my nonfiction site. And, you know, know, Stephen Pressfield, who actually helped me in the very beginning, has done something very similar in a way. Um, Stephen Pressfield, he's the guy that wrote uh, The War of Art fantastic book for writers and uh that's probably what helped get me into writing as well i wrote, read that as a self-help book as i was an entrepreneur and i went whoa wow what an incredible story and i emailed him this was before he had a blog and everything and he emailed me back and gave me advice and that's what i learned about the author world too is it's a very pay it forward way you know he helped me for free and said, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's my advice. And I kind of ran with it. And I'm kind of looking at that. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out nonfiction self-help and then write some thrillers and see how it goes. Well, if it's any consolation to you, I write science fiction as Paul Teague. I write thrillers as Paul J. Teague. And I've also published nonfiction as P. Teague. So I, I do three. So it can work, but I split the author names is my big tip. Yes, I, that, that is, I have actually learned that from Joanna Penn, how she does it. And I've seen other people do it. And, I, and it's funny because I, I researched you and you're right with the different pen names. It makes it hard because everything splits off in different directions. And some people use complete aliases. So they've written a total genre, different genre that I've never don't know about because it's a different name and they don't link their pages together. Um, but I know other people have done it. I think it's, it's a, there's a good crossover because my nonfiction is self-help going off the grid, living remotely, nomadic lifestyle, um, simple lifestyle. And then I think a lot of people who read my stuff also read thrillers. So I'll find out, you know, well, it's an experiment, but uh, I have to do it. You're right. I, I would be wasting all that knowledge not writing thrillers. The other question I need to ask you then is 
Entrepreneur first or author first? Well, that's where a transition occurred this year. I had been an entrepreneur first uh, for about eight. I've had my company and been doing that for about eight years now. This last year, 2018, that going off the grid book took off and I got picked up by a distributor. Um, you know, I just signed an actual publishing deal, traditional publishing deal recently. That book's getting ready to come out. That's off grid based. I kind of realized it from instead of health and primal health is what I, what I teach that I was going more towards life simplification. And so there was a brand confusion going on. Well, after talking to some people, I finally took a writing, you know, self-publishing writing course. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of uh, with Mark Dawson's course with the self-publishing formula and just taught me a lot of how I was doing everything wrong, basically. <laughs> and knowing that I was going into a different direction because also the uh, Simple Life Guide to RV Living was written. And I just, I put that out in 2000. So that's a whole nother series because I learned that series are a better way to go. I talked to a couple people who are marketers and indie pub publishing or uh, writers and they go, man, they go, you, you, there is some brand confusion and actually your book is doing pretty good. Why don't you take a, you know, take a swipe at just writing full time? And I went, you know, it's funny you say that. As I was sitting here before I talked to you, that's exactly what I was thinking. So this year was my, my going off into being a writer first. And that's what I'm doing. And so far, so good. The Simple Life series is doing really well. I've got three books coming out in 2019. At the very least, I'm writing the third one. It's almost done right now. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of nutty. I'm doing pretty good. Not not you know. I want to do better, but so far so good. Well, here here you are, um, effectively a, a digital marketer. You're selling you know paperbacks and digital editions of books. Yet you've gone off grid. So I, I'm interested to know what going off grid means for you and your personal life. Well, and people, there, there's so so many different kind of false connotations how people look at that and i'll explain how i define living off the grid it's just not being tied to public utilities it doesn't mean i'm gonna li i'm living in a shack with no plumbing no water my house is fully functional fully functional bathrooms you know it just runs on solar power um i have a well you know i have a normal a gravity fed septic system and that's how i wanted to do it but yeah it's it was more of a lifestyle choice of simplicity a place to get, get away but the, the challenge was, and I think why people like my off the grid and the books I write is that I run a full digital business while living in a nomadic lifestyle. So I had to figure all this stuff out from scratch. How can I run this? And I didn't just jump into it. I was renting. I sold my house. Uh, it's in my books how I basically sold everything, you know, went debt free and simplified my life, rented and kind of figured out how I was going to do it first before I just jumped in. So I put all the pieces in place in order. And like we're doing right now, I'm, I'm, I don't stay where in my off-grid house in the winter because it's, it's, I can't, can't get in and out. It's too inaccessible. Um, I spend about seven months out of the year there and then the other five months in my travel trailer and I head south where the weather's better. But I'm in a remote area still now and the internet has been terrible for two weeks, just awful. Nothing works. My Wi-Fi is not working. Uh, any, you know, we were just trying to use my buddy's high-speed internet. We are still having a lag. Uh, that's one of the downsides to the nomadic lifestyle. And also, you know, I do a lot of interviews, so it's a challenge. You know, some of the interviews don't go so well because it's dropping out. Um, but otherwise, just writing, running a website, blog, and all that stuff, that stuff works fine. It's the interviews that get a little tricky. Well, we're just about hanging on in here. So, so I'm pleased about that because I was I was worried at the beginning that we might not make it. But this is this is OK. This is sounding good. Um, I do want to just, um, you know, I, I don't know a lot about living off the grid. The idea horrifies me, to be honest with you. But can I, can I just ask <laughs> you? I like my, you know, I like my creature comforts. But can I just ask, is this sort of motivated from a place of of 
of prepping? We hear a lot about preppers who live off the grid. Or is this really just a reaction, I, I guess, against sort of being too plugged into systems which may, I guess, fail at some point? You know, that's a really good question, too. And I've been asked that a few times. You know, people go, what are you prepping for? I go, nothing. I did this out of a for more freedom. Every choice I make in my life today is to make my life simpler and to have more freedom is the way I look at it. And declutter, you know, get rid of all the noise, the things that drive the modern human basically to insanity, that rat in a cage syndrome. I grew up in a very small remote area. So cities to me are pretty tough to deal with. And as I got older, you know, I'm getting closer to 50 cities make my skin crawl half the time. I just, I get real uncomfortable. I can last for about a week and I got to go. So it was more about freedoms and the quiet and being able to write and run a business in an easier way, not being, you know, fighting traffic or, you know, having to have an office space or all the noise. But don't get me wrong. I mean, do I have supplies and, you know, do I have, you know, if the power, if the grid goes down, well, I don't worry about it. Actually, the power's gone down in the town I'm attached to and there's a lake below me. Um, the town's 10 miles away. But I can, I, there's been nights where the black, the lake is pitch black. And I know the power's out because there's a storm going on. The only reason I would know the power's out is because I'm looking out my window. <laughs> my power's fine. Everything's working totally fine. So, yeah, I mean, for me, the simple answer, again, it's just purely about freedom and, and quiet and a simple, simple life. Yeah, I find it really interesting. When, when we were kids, my dad did a little bit of this. Uh, you probably, I don't know whether you know this book. It's called Food for Free. It was a huge book in the 1970s and it has been republished. I think is still available, but we had it in the UK where, where I live. And um, my dad used to take us foraging for berries and all sorts of uh you know toadstools and mushrooms and things like that and i can remember eating things and not knowing whether i was going to wake up in the morning i I, you know it was so so terrifying is this the kind of living off grid you're doing where you're you're eating out of hedgerows and things like that well well, yes it's a little different i grew up in a town actually smaller than town i live in attached to now which is less than two thousand people uh where i grew up the town I'm at, I think it's right around 2,000 people, and it's the biggest town in the county. <laughs> so, yeah, I go out. I have wild raspberries around my property. I go pick them when they're in season. You know, I hunt. I fish. But I'm not – I don't live totally off the land because I'm not there long enough. I'm not there all year either. But, yeah, no, I, I love that stuff. That's how I grew up as well. To me, it's fun. I've grown my own food in the past. I haven't got the greenhouses up at this place because I haven't had time. I'm still, you know, you're never done working on a property that's remote. You're always working on the thing. But I love that stuff. I'm a hands-on guy, so I love building things. I like using my mind. If you can't tell most people that it's always turning. You know, the wheel's always turning in my brain, so I have to keep myself busy or I kind of start to lose it a little bit, you know. Uh, um, So, yeah, it's... I do a little bit of that. I, I kind of have a balance and it's kind of what I teach. And I think what people appreciate is I'm not totally disengaged. You know, it's one foot in one foot out. You know, I still live in the modern world, but I love to pull back and go back to more of a simpler, you know, time of where you don't have the distractions. You know, I don't have a phone line. I don't have, I still have my cell phone works, unfortunately <laughs> at times, but you know, I can turn it on and off. You know, when I'm up there, literally, you don't hear anything. It's total quietness. There's no noise except for the wind and the trees and the animals. For me, that that's bliss. I love that. When you look at your books uh, on Amazon, you, you, you seem to have kind of two key strands or brands there. We've got the primal power method and we've got the simple life. What is the relationship between those two? Well. Well, the primal power method was the health company. That's gone. That I released going off the grid when primal power method was still around. I just actually transitioned to the simple life now in April. I did a total pivot. I mean, I changed domains, changed everything, just decided. I'm one of those guys. When I decide something, I take action. I go for it. The simple life is a series. There's only two books out right now. I'm writing the third in that series. 
the primal power method's gone, but that book was branded that way. So eventually I need to go back and do a second edition. I was hoping in 2019 to redo Going Off the Grid. The follow-up to that called Living Off the Grid is coming out in January. And then there's a workbook that accompanies that that's coming out in February. So that's kind of a separate brand. The Living Off the Grid uh, kind of – those those books are different from The Simple Life. They're kind of two different brands, if that makes sense. Now, it strikes me that you've done the perfect thing for nonfiction, which we're always advised to do, which is to go very narrow and very deep. Is that you know part of your strategy with this? Yeah, I wish I was that smart to have a great strategy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, some of it's dumb luck, I would say. Like I said, Going Off the Grid was never meant to be written. I never intended to write that book. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of learned that through the, the classes, and now I went to my first writer's conference ever. I mean I'm a total idiot the way I've done this. And I think most writer, indie writers will say we all have our – you know, in the beginning, all the mistakes we make. But after I kind of figured out, yeah, I said, you know what? Once I learned that series were better than one-offs, especially in the indie world because you're trying to bring people into your, into your, you know, your group. Well, it's hard to do if you're shooting one-offs one-off books all the time on random subjects. It's harder for them to find you. So it was part strategy. Um, the, the going off the grid stuff was only intended to have one book, but I've been asked so many questions and that it's taken on a life of its own. I decided to expand that book into a, that book into a series. And then the simple life was more of, I wanted to reach out further to other people because going off the grid stuff is very, very niche. I mean, that's very narrow. So you only have so much bandwidth in that. But the simple life is more going out towards everyday people just looking to simplify, you know, to make their life a little easier, happier, and understand the things that I've done and and to share that with them, how I took my journey, and to share the mistakes. I think that's what makes me a little unique is I don't filter anything. I give you all the screw-ups all the missteps I made in order to hope that you won't make the same mistakes and you will save time and money on your path because I, I told you about them. I hope that's the goal anyway. You can only hope. You never know until you know I get eight books out there in the Simple Life series and see what the reaction is. When I look at your website at the simplelifenow.com, I can see that you've got a line of what looks like to be a, a, a personalized um, a drugs range of some kind. Can you talk me through that and, and how that works and whether you're still doing that? Oh, the supplement line? Yes, supplements. That's a better word for it, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what happened with that is I created that line years ago. That was under Primal Power Method. And I started selling supplements back when I first started working with clients because they they would go out and buy any garbage they could find and screw up all the work we're doing. And supplements are wild. Uh, wild West is what I call the supplement world. They're loosely regulated. They're counterfeited all the time. And, and I wrote a huge article that blew up on counterfeit supplements because I used to work in it. So I knew the inside how it works. So that supplement line is stuck around because I have so many people who buy it. If I got rid of that supplement line, I would hear it. They would not be happy with me because they find me as a place to go to trust. And I understand that. And that's why I've kept it. But not only that, but the simple life and what I teach in the simple life is still got health in it. That's never going away. And I teach that and do when I talk interviews, I tell people, if you're looking to simplify your life, be happier, you have to be healthy and you have to be healthy first. If you can figure out and, and get your health in order, everything else falls in place after that much, much easier. And that's the path that most people don't want to take. We know in today's world, I mean, especially in America where I'm at, we're the, obese, we're the number one obesity country in the world. You know, we, got, we have some serious health issues. And I tell people, if you tackle that beast, tackle it first, wow, you know, your eyes will be opened. And that's why I continue to teach. And there will be more health books in the Simple Life series. You know, if there's anything I'm truly in, I consider myself an expert in health. And I don't, you know, I say that loosely, but that's something I have four decades in, in one form or another. And I'm a pretty healthy guy. So 
I'm never going to not teach teach health, and the supplement line is a service. Trust me, my life would probably be much easier if I got rid of it, <laughs> but I can't. It, it, it's truly a service I provide to a lot of people, and I'm the only place they shop because they know they trust me. You know, To this day, this will probably shock, shock you, Paul. I have never had one supplement product returned. Ever. Doesn't that maybe suggest that you ought to uh, build that part of the business or is it just not something that doesn't interest you? Well, I, I could. Uh, there's been points where I survived purely off the supplement line. Um, now I make most of my money off the books. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't rule that out. I've been asked – I ran a health food company for a while uh, while you know paying the bills, and I've been approached to be a, a brand ambassador for supplement lines and – other food companies it's just how much of my time can i give to it's i'm trying not to get too spread out and also i i live a life of balance i mean i love being outdoors riding my mountain bike my road bike you know going out and hunting and doing the things hiking and being you know running around with my dog and traveling you know and that's where i i take things a little differently i'm an entrepreneur but i don't want to let I don't I, I only get to live this life once far as I know, right? So I want to make sure I enjoy everything I possibly can. And by living the life the way I do, you know, being debt free, living a simpler life, I don't need as much money. Is the bottom line. And and you can only money only gives you so much happiness and trust me, I do not poo poo money. Money equals freedom. And that's what I teach people. You know, if the only people who say, you know, money is it doesn't help create happiness is people that don't have, have any. Yeah, I think Samuel Jackson said that in a movie, something along those lines. And it's really true. Our our world runs on money. You know, it's just how much time are you willing to pursue in getting it? And where is your life balance? Well, that's different for everyone. So for me to get into that world right now. It would just scatter me. Actually, 2019 is fully booked for me. I can't add anything else in 2019. I, I told myself it's maxed out. I'm not going to do it. Again, life balance. It strikes me that you're very much in the expert positioning field and that you've, you and your brand feel ripe for a traditional offer to me. Have you never thought of going down the traditional line? You know, you seem to jump straight into self-publishing without even considering it when you were speaking earlier. Well, I shouldn't say that. I left out the part. I did search uh, for an agent for a while. And also, I did uh, contact some publishing companies and I've been contacted. Again, it's that freedom thing. And I got a good piece of advice from a very, very well-known author who I became friends with over the years in the health world. And he said, Sat me down, goes, Gary, if you can do this on your own, do it on your own. Don't be a slave to your agent like me. And he was very forward about how much he made a year. I made more than him in the government than he did as a best-selling author. So it kind of opened my eyes up to, okay, you know, the, the indie publishing route is very, very difficult. As we all know, it's, you know, there's what, 1,500 authors in Kindle, uh, uh, in KDP that make six figures or more, according to their numbers. It's right around 1500 So it's a very – trust me, if I was going for money, I definitely picked the wrong field. <laughs> but I truly enjoy what I do. I mean at the point where I'm at in life, I really love what I do. I put a lot of hours in, but I balance it. And you can work more hours when you enjoy what you're doing and it doesn't seem like work. That's what I teach. You know, I hope that comes across to people is that's the whole thing I'm teaching is if you go out and you just chase the almighty dollar and you get there, then what? You know, did you waste a decade of life that you could have been doing things that you enjoyed? Or can you make less money, pursue the things you want to do and have more free time? Well, that's the magic question, right? And that's what everyone has to choose. And for me, the traditional published route, too, was kind of putting those uh, handcuffs on because they, it was pretty obvious. They were going to tell me what to write, how to write it, how long it was going to be, and they weren't going to help me for the most part. I was like, oh, wow, I might as well do this on my own. 
you know, I'll figure it out. You know, it took, took me a while, but I'm starting to figure it out. And I'm glad I chose that route because, you know, we, know, we don't learn off, off success. We learn off failure. It, that's a survival mechanism. You know, why do you remember why you burnt your hand on the stove when you're five years old? Well, that's critical for your survival at the moment and survival down the road. You ask me over my life successes and I go, oh, God, I can't remember. <laughs> can't remember those as well. So I kind of look at it that way. It's growing, figuring it out, doing it on my own. But I also just signed a, a traditional publishing deal. It's a good relationship so far. But I waited for it. It came to me. I didn't go to it. It, it found me organically. It, it was one of those, they found me, they've read my books, they sold. They sold going off the grid. They came to me and said, hey, we would like for you to, to publish with us. And we talked and it, we went back and forth for probably two months, three months before I said, you know what? Okay, I'll do it. And that's kind of how I work my business, though, is I don't just do business for business. All my business are personal relationships. So I have to like you in order to do business with you. If I can't go out and have a pint with you, I want to do business with you. Well, unless you don't drink. You know, that's a whole different story. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, but if that makes sense to you, I, I have to be able to have a relationship with you because – it makes the process that much more enjoyable. I saw that you'd been to the 20 Books to 50K conference in Las Vegas. And I was reading your blog. I think it was this year. It's the one that's just happened, I think. Is that right? Correct. How, how do you find that community? Because I went to the one in the UK earlier this year, and I, I love that community for learning. Oh, it was – I remember telling a couple people – because I went blind, too. I did. I knew a couple people who were – I'd met you know, through author groups, and, and a couple of them do work – do uh, contract work for me now. And uh, yeah, fantastic. I was like, why haven't I been going to these conferences before? And it was because I didn't have time. I was building a house. I was running around. I was, you know, my life was pretty chaotic because I was putting in the hard work to simplify. And that's another thing people need to understand. Doing the live the life I'm living right now takes a lot of work up front. But once you get there, it's 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 a lot better. But yeah, it was I loved it. Met a lot of great people. Um, some great relationships have already turned out out of it, and I've already made my reservation for next year. I'm like, I'm going, and I'm going to another conference in Chicago in May, and that's uh, best. Is it best page forward? No, sell more books. Hmm. It's Brian Cohen and uh, another guy. Oh. I'm forgetting his name, Jim Kukro. Jim Kukro, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to their conference. But no, the 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 Indie Writers Conference, fan. Oh, I mean, just eye-opening. I learned so much that I, I, if I could give advice to any new writer, don't be me. Go to a conference, even if you haven't written anything yet. Go there, absorb all the information, and definitely take a marketing course. Those were the two biggest mistakes I made. I did not do either until way later on. I'm interested to know, as a nonfiction writer, um, if you feel that you get as much support as fiction writers do within the communities that you're involved with. Because, uh, you know, a lot of what um, podcasts are about seems to be aimed at fiction writers. And I wonder if you find it a little bit difficult sometimes to get the information you need. Yeah, because you you definitely have to use a different filter with information because the marketing that will work – for a fiction writer, the covers, everything's far, far different. You know, that's a total, that those genres are so different than nonfiction and especially self-help DIY, what I do, that you have to pick and choose. You know, you have to have enough knowledge to understand what will work for you and what won't. And that's why I like listening to the, the people like you and, and the people are duels because that's where I learn. Um, yeah, it, it makes it tricky, and you have to experiment a little bit more on the nonfiction side, I would say, because uh, what they teach you doesn't necessarily fit in, and you have to experiment with your marketing, where your ads should be placed. Um, but like I said, the the podcast I listen to and the people I listen to are dual, so I get a little bit of both, and that helps That helps tremendously. I mean, especially the book covers, you know, in, in you know, if you're going to write thrillers or science fiction, fantasy, your covers have to be specific to that genre. Uh, nonfiction, little different. You know, I'm going for branding. So, and I'm very niche. So 
I don't really have a whole lot to follow. So I'm kind of going about doing it a little bit on my own, uh, which uh, in, not in fiction would kill you if you threw out a cover that was totally unrelated to, you know, didn't look like any of the other thriller books out there. You have a very well-developed YouTube channel. And I have to say that when I was looking at some of your videos earlier on before we spoke, it did strike me that there might be a little television deal coming up at some point, that that what you do would work really well on, you know, one of these channels. Uh, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to use the word prepper because I know you're not a prepper, but you could, you know, you see a lot of that type of program and what you do would fit very well uh, visually, I think. Well, I have been approached. Um it just the timing and things didn't work out quite right. And again, how far do you want to go? And actually, I haven't done any YouTube videos in quite a while. And that was one of the things this year, too. I ditched social media for the company, which some people just were appalled. They couldn't believe I would do such a thing. Um, but to me, I don't like social media. I think it's caused so much harm in the world than good. And I think people spend way too much time on it, dilly-dallying instead of getting stuff done. But not to say that I don't use it. I still use it, but I use it as a tool. Um, I, I probably will be going back and doing more YouTube stuff. And it just, yeah, I mean, I've been approached TV, radio. It, it's timing. And do I want to go into that world? Because if I go into that world, and I know people, I know a guy who uh, in this little town I live in is on one of the most popular shows on the History Channel right now. And I talked to him a little bit and to hear how it goes down the guy still has a full-time job <laughs> i mean he has to work his job because i ain't getting paid nothing and learning how the business works and I'm, it, to do that too i think i would be cheating the writing side i consider myself basically brand new because i'm only selling three books the first three health books i took off the market you can only get those used and those things are still selling used which amazes me because they make me cringe today. I wish people would go out and light them on fire and burn every last one of them. But it doesn't appear that's going to happen. So I only have three books out. I'll have three more books out in 2019. So still only six books. I'm one of those guys that I got to finish the job. I'll get the job done. These opportunities will come. And I'm also very selective. I just, I'm one of those people that I really analyze things and I go, how is this going to make my life better? Is this going to benefit me or is it going to stress me out? And I'm going to be just really angry, basically, and pissed off at the world. Uh, you know, and that's how I balance everything. Not to say that I take the, the shortcut, but how will it benefit me? Will it benefit other people? And that's how I look at everything. I'm sure that stuff's coming down the road at some point. I'm in no rush. It'll happen. And I need to get an agent. <laughs> uh, longer term, you, you said I think you're around 50 now. So uh, like me, you're a gentleman of a certain age. Um, it, when you're thinking about your writing and living off the grid, is that something you can kind of sustain for a long time? Or will you have to come back to civilization at some point as you start to get older? That, that's another good point. Um, I, I believe that I will have to come back. My property is going to be too rough at some point for me. My house is two stories. It's four-wheel drive in during the summer. The roads are rough. At some point, I'm going to have to say, okay, I can't do this anymore. So I'm hoping I can get 20, 25 years out of this, this lifestyle. Um, the travel trailer stuff and the nomadic, I don't know. I don't know that part, how long I can do that. I can probably go in and out of that. I know a lot of old very, people in their 80s that are still doing the RV life. I've met them. They're fantastic people. So that has a little more longevity to it. But no, at some point, I'm going to have to figure out when I'm going to have to let the lifestyle go to some point. And also business-wise, how, how big can a business get? How much can I do when I'm living you know, most of the year off the grid remote? I don't know. So I'm going to have to – don't get me wrong. I'm going to have to figure something out eventually or the option is I just don't take those opportunities and I keep my life the way it is. And, and it's tough. It's, it's an inner battle you know. with uh, – at the, uh, the, the 20 books to 50K, I had a guy come up to me, another author, goes, what do you do again? I was talking 
to someone else and I go, oh, and he goes, what's your name? I said, Gary Collins. He goes, did you write the book going off the grid? And I went, yeah, that's my book. He goes, oh my God, I'm reading your book right now. Me and my wife want to do it. He brings out his phone and he's got pieces of my book highlighted within the digital version. He goes, we need to take a picture right now. I'm sending this picture to my wife. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that's crazy. And that is the balance. I'm not saying that to make myself feel good. It actually made me very uncomfortable. And that's the thing. How far am I willing to go? I don't know. I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, you know, the thriller side. I'm pretty sure if I push hard enough, I can probably do some, some consulting in, in Hollywood. Um, if I can get some books out that gain some traction, the books I'm helping on gain some traction. You never know. And that's kind of one of the goals. I mean, I would love to do that. But do I want to become part of Hollywood? No, absolutely not. That was nonfiction author Gary Collins, and you can access more information about Gary in this week's show notes, which you'll find at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Coming up next Monday on the 31st of December 2018, I'm chatting to Orna Ross, independent novelist and poet and founder and director of the Alliance of Independent Authors. Now, just a reminder that the last interview episode will run on Monday, the 7th of January 2019, and that will be the last of the weekly interview episodes for the time being. I'll not be recording those weekly interview episodes after 135 is released, but Paul's podcast diary will continue. That's it from me for now. Happy holidays, and I'll be back with Paul's podcast diary on Saturday. Until then, bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.